Well, drama listeners, I am so excited that I am sharing this episode with you today. It is the Aaron Chavate episode. Connor and I have been dreaming of having Aaron on the podcast, well, since we started back in November 2019. He is just another extraordinary person who you've all seen and you all know on stage. And I'm thrilled to tell you he's even more extraordinary off stage. Connor and I were just basking in gratitude. And shockingly, I wasn't a super nervous mess during the call. So I did survive. And we are just so thankful for Aaron. But we're also thankful for all of you who have supported us throughout this journey. And we are going to have even more surprises in 2023. So if you would love to support us this holiday season with a $5 monthly donation through our Patreon, we're going to be able to continue to bring phenomenal guests like Aaron And we're going to have so many more surprises in store this upcoming year. To anyone who's new to the podcast, hello, my name is Dylan. And my twin brother, Connor, and I have a huge back catalog here on our podcast drama of guests who you know and love. So feel free to scroll back while you're traveling, hanging out this holiday season, listening to all of the beautiful artists from Broadway and the West End who have come on drama over the years. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Be sure to follow us at the drama podcast on Twitter and Instagram. We're also now on TikTok, so it's at the Drama Pod over there. Enough chatter. It's time for debate. I am so, so happy to share this episode with you all today, and I know Connor is too. Let's get on with the show. Press play. Curtain of an hour in. It's time to taste in. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got numb? They option no. Oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. Drama. Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life. I'm Connor McDowell. And I am Dylan McDowell. Connor, it's the best time of the year. I know. It's the holiday season, it's the end of the year, but I need to just say there are too many things to watch on TV, film, on stage, even I'm extremely overwhelmed and I want to enjoy these things, but I feel like the Virgo in me is like, I need to cross these off my to watch list. You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, during the pandemic, we could watch everything always, you know, there was so much time. Every night was free. Yeah. Yeah. You'd binge it in a day or two. And now it's like, well, thankfully things are back to a weekly release schedule. I I do prefer that. I will say, but there's so much things should be weekly. I know. Well, like, White Lotus is a show, perfect example, that week to week, you need it to be. You need it to be. It, it grows in its fan base. You get to talk about it, you know, at the water, co- the proverbial water cooler. But, you know, also another one of my guilty pleasure shows, Sex Lives of College Girls, is back for a second season. I'm also very great. happy about that. It's so funny. Yeah, it's brilliant. Pauline and I- Chalamet. She's yeah, the Lucille Ball of our generation. <laughs> <laughs> there are moments where I'm like, wow, you look just like Timothy. I know. It's where, you know, it's just, it's crazy. I love gagging people and being like, okay, you know, that one girl on sex, that's a college girl. She's Timothy Chalamet's sister. And they're always so shaken. Yeah. But she's funny. She's very funny. That show is great. What else have you been watching? Okay. I, of course, am loving Real Housewives of Potomac. Gotta have a little Bravo in there. And then the best Star Wars series we've gotten yet on Disney Plus and or. No question. Yeah. No question at all. It's so good. Although I thought I, it ended obsessed. a few weeks ago and you told me there were still two more episodes. So I need to catch up on that. <laughs> I know. I think there true, are. True fake out. Well, there's so much good stuff. I, anything you're seeing in New York right now? I guess I just want to say I did, because I work on the show, but I got to go to the opening night of Kimberly Kimbo and it was dream come true. Absolute yeah. dream come true. Yeah. It was surreal to sit there and be like, oh, I play a small part in helping with this, kind of. <laughs> I'm proud of you. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. First, actually, the first opening night of a musical 
I've ever been to. That's fun. Kind of fun. I'm like, I can't believe it hadn't happened yet, but it felt like this perfect timing moment that it was like something that was in my work life and I've developed a personal relationship with the show. So it was amazing. I wonder if our guest has seen it yet. We'll, we'll need to talk because that's in yeah. a theater that they've, they've been in before. So, okay, this is going to be great. But Dylan, this is a moment in, in history. Yeah. In, in, in the history of this podcast, in the history of our lives. I mean, can you believe what's about to happen on drama today? No, I can't. It doesn't feel real. And <laughs> when his name appeared that he entered the Zoom, I had to take a minute to collect myself. Because if you know, we, when we had Gavin Creel on about a month ago, it was another one of those moments where I thought, how, what, what did we do that led us to this moment where this person well, is sitting across from us and they are forced to listen to us talk to them for Well, I famously told hour. you I was ready to retire after Gavin Creel. Yes. So I'm glad that I didn't because this needed to happen. Well, now, I, we, now we can retire after this. This is the final episode okay. of the podcast. Yes. But, okay. When we, Dylan, when we started you... this podcast, we made a list and this name was at the top, right up there with Kristen Thanks, Chenoweth Tom. and a few others. Our guest today is a household name as a crossover artist on Broadway, film, and television. He is the 2020 Tony Award winner and Outer Critics Circle Award winner for Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role in a Musical for creating the role of Christian in Moulin Rouge on Broadway. He's toured the country in Rent and Hairspray before making his Broadway debut as Link Larkin. He went on to star as Fierro and Wicked and created the role of Gabe in Next Normal, for which he received the Helen Hayes Award and Clarence Derwent Award. He memorably created the role of Frank Abagnale Jr. in my personal favorite musical, Catch Me If You Can, on Broadway, alongside my other hero, Norbert Leo Butts. Other stage appearances include playing Roger in Rent at the Hollywood Bowl, his West End debut in Assassins, starring as Bobby and Company at Barrington Stage, as well as in Calvin Berger, The Three Musketeers, Saved, and more. He was an on-screen standout in the film adaptation of Les Miserables as Angel Ross and led Better Off Single, Undrafted, Out of Blue, Created Equal, and more. On television, you've seen him star as Danny Zuko in Grease Live and starred as Mike Warren in three seasons of Graceland, appeared as Trip Vanderbilt on Gossip Girl, Danny Bailey in Schmigadoon, and brought his talent to The Good Wife and The Good Fight, American Horror Stories, Brain Dead, and The Code. His album, The Radio in My Head, live at 54 Below, is available now. Please welcome our dream guest to drama, Aaron, Aaron Tveit. Oh my goodness! Oh my good! That's like a this is your life moment right there. I'm just <laughs> like, oh my god! How did what's what happened? What happened in my life that I got to be in all those things? Thank you guys so much for having me. I was watching you react. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, it's. It's so funny. You don't like think about that. And then all the things. Yeah, anyway, anyway. Hi. Hello. I can't believe that I was uh, such a <laughs> sought after guest. And uh, Connor, I feel the same way. The couple of times I've gotten to work with Gavin, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. I think I think I think, my, <laughs> I think I'm fine because, you know, I Gavin was one of those people that I listened to when I was in college. And I was like, wow, how does he sing like that? I want to sing like that. And then it's very Norbert as well. Yeah. And so then you all of a sudden find yourself and what you think in your own head is a very short time later in the room with them. And you're kind of like, what happened? How am I here? So I feel like that constantly. So I, I'm, I was ready to retire after working with both of them as well. <laughs> you can't retire because you guys have to do the MCC. At I know we need a third you know one. I mean? We need a third, third time's we, the charm. you know, comedy is in three. So we'll, we'll be doing another, another one. That's of very true. You're right. Thank you both so much, so much for having me. Uh, I really appreciate it. And, uh, and yeah, I'm excited, excited to chat. Oh, Aaron, that means a lot. We're so psyched. And we obviously have a lot of questions for you just about life and whatnot. You're, you, you're making a rare podcast appearance today. 
You know, I love podcasts. It's, it's you, you know, we were chatting about that before. I haven't done too many, but uh, I, I actually, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I, and I love them. Yours is fantastic. I've listened to some episodes and- uh, Uh-oh. And no, no, no. And it's just- uh, <laughs> We have a fan. <laughs> I like that. I like the pop culture crossover as well. And I heard you all talking about what you're watching and I'm watching a lot. I watch a lot of things too. So Ooh, I think this we'll is a good- it. Really good fit. Yeah. So thanks for having me. Oh, awesome. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm so glad. Well, Aaron, before we dive into all that, we do like to check in with our guests to meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. We want to know how you're doing. Are you well? I am well. Yes. You know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm letting myself get washed over with the holiday, holiday spirit at the moment. Uh, Thanksgiving, we're recording this right before Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving has always been one of my uh, favorite holidays to kind of go home and see family and really just take a moment of you know, really think about like the, what it, what it's saying, right. It's like gratitude. And I, I have a lot of gratitude in my life right now. And uh, I think that's a, uh, it's, it's always a, a wonderful holiday for that. So yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm doing very well and I'm letting myself be totally washed over by the holiday experience at the moment. That's amazing. You oh, know, love it. I sort yeah. of live by the mantra that gratitude is the key to joy. So it's like, you can I, realize how lucky you are when you actually give grateful energy out into the world. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to live by. How are you both? Are you both well? Yeah, thank you for asking. So good. We're, we're reunited. So Connor's currently home in Ohio for okay. the hot, for Thanksgiving. And then I'm going to mm-hmm. be joining him in New York for a week of Broadway. Like, we're gotcha. going to see everything. Fantastic. Um, but I'm good. Thanksgiving is like my favorite holiday. Yeah. The food yeah. and family. It's really nice. You know. I've, I've always loved Thanksgiving. It's just a great one. Are you celebrating in the city or will you go visit family? I'll go home. Yeah. So I, I grew up kind of up in the Hudson Valley. I'm like an hour, hour and a half out northwest of New York City. So I've also been always been really lucky that, you know, my family and kind of I'm still really close to a lot of friends from my hometown and kind of they've always been really close. So even though I've spent like lots of years in New York, obviously, I mean, I moved here in 2006. uh, But uh, (laughs) but um, but no, even when I was doing shows, you know, even even when I've been in, in Broadway shows and you have like kind of that very fast turnaround for Thanksgiving, I've always been really lucky that I can just get home, you know, because I'm a, mm-hmm. a train ride or a, a car ride away. So I've been talking about gratitude. I've been really fortunate and grateful that uh, even through the tough schedules I've been on while I've been in, in Broadway shows, I've always kind of been able to sneak home for, for the holidays. Yeah. Have you ever done the Macy's Parade? I've never done the Macy's Parade. No, I was I've, thinking about that just now. Yeah. I have never done it. Next to normal, we didn't do it. Uh, what number would have been done? I mean, come on. See, that's the thing. I don't know. Like, what do you do? Right? It's like everyone's trying to be very joyful. What are you going to yeah. pull out to do? <laughs> but um, <laughs> and for Moulin Rouge, they did it when we went last. When we went back post pandemic, Natalie Mendoza did it. Yes, and they did diamonds, yeah. which yeah, I've just never had the opportunity. So, but and you know, and the trade off is that is I didn't have to get up at five in the morning on those days. So, right. so that was the nice part. <laughs> exactly, <for me. laughs> and mostly in the freezing cold. Yes, exactly, I mean, looks... exactly. So. Maybe one day, maybe the next one, maybe the next uh, next show, and then I'll get to do the parade. Ooh, yeah. okay, okay. Aaron, yeah. did you love Kimberly Akimbo? Oh my, oh my God, I, I I saw Kimberly Akimbo. Didn't see it at the Atlantic. I saw one of the early Broadway previews. I know Vicky really well. She, she played uh, my mom in a Christmas movie that I did, and I've been a huge admirer of her for a very long time. Back to Light in the Piazza specifically, and. Oh, yeah. And my manager represents Justin Cooley, who's in the show. So I've had like a little bit of knowledge about the show from then. And then, of course, it's the the producer is David Stone, who's my producer in Next to Normal. There's a lot of a lot of similarities with Next to Normal. It's at the booth. It was actually the first show I've seen in the booth since I saw Next to Normal, oddly enough. It's also the first musical in the booth since Next to Normal. Is that right? That makes sense. That, yeah. Because that, 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 mm-hmm. I know a lot of plays usually do that. I thought I was... 
I was ball. I was, I'm a, I'm a big crier. I'm a big crier at shows, movies, everything. I'm a big crier in my own shows and movies, everything. But uh, <laughs> as like friends of, friends of mine famously like to tell me, but no, I was, it was 20 minutes in during Vicky's first song. I looked down at my watch and I was like, I'm already crying. I'm already crying. And uh, nice. I just thought the show was so beautiful. And I, I spoke to uh, David and, and the director actually at intermission. And I was like, I don't know how you're walking this line of, I'm devastated and then laughing two minutes later. They just, it goes up and down and the humor and everyone's on the same page and the tone is so uniform throughout, which I think is the thing that's so hard to do in musical a lot. And I just think it's one of the most unique shows I've ever seen. And I just was completely rocked by the whole thing. I think it's amazing. Yeah. Go see Kimberly and Kimbo. Anyway, run and go see it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. I'm taking Dylan next week. Oh, so. you're going to yes. love it. Oh my God, you're going to love it. So excited. Yeah. And I love Janine Tesori's music. You know, the range in which she's done, yeah. you know, Early Modern Millie, Shrek, Fun Home. It just goes on and on. It's crazy. The mu- and also like for, yes, for all the different type of shows that she's done, this the music to be set in high school and it's quite contemporary. And I mean, in the lyrics and the book, I mean, it's a, and also it's a new musical, right? I mean, not to harken back to next to normal, but there are very few brand new ideas for musicals that aren't based on a movie or based on something else. And so to have kind of that, you know, a a brand new source material, it's really hard to land, I think. And that's why people don't always try it. And uh, they land it. I I can't wait for you to see it. You're going to, you're going to love it. Uh, I'll let you know what I think. It's, I'm really excited. Was it crazy being back in the booth then? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I went, I went to the bathroom before the show and I had walked down into that lower lobby and I was yeah. just like, de- like it's you just have deja vu. I was like, oh, I remember just like sitting on this floor getting notes to, after a preview. Like you just don't even those are the things you don't think about, and then all of a sudden you're back in mm-hmm. the space. And that theater, that theater is like when you're on stage because it's so it's a you know so intimate. It's like it's a perfect little jewel of a Broadway theater. You know, I know that it's one of the smaller houses, but to do a musical in that size house is you just feel like the audience is right, right on top of you. And you, you just have such a connection with them. So to be on the other oh, side sure. of it and be in the audience and, and, and feel it from the other side was pretty special. Yeah. And I mean, next to normal, that show is, it can be loud, you mm. know, it really rocks you, yeah. but it needs to be in that intimate space, I think to really feel it. Oh yeah. I mean, that was, oh, I love that show so much. Yeah. And you know, the, there was uh the reactions in the, we could, we could not only hear, but we could feel the reactions in the audience. You know, the big moment that happens with kind of my reveal in the first act, mm-hmm. the gasps you'd hear in the audience. And then of course, at the end of the show, what happens with Gabe and his dad, the Ugh. visceral crying <laughs> that we would hear. Mm-hmm. It was just a, it's a very, very unique experience when, you know, you could, you could feel and hear everything the audience was going through as well as they could feel and hear everything you're going through on stage. It was, I, I've kind of never experienced that in anything else uh, in that way. I mean, it, it's emotionally taxing, but I can imagine physically as well. I mean, the set being three stories and you oh, yeah. were doing gymnastics up and down. <laughs> were you the only character that went all the way to the third? Uh, yes, level? I was, I was. Okay. And, yeah. uh, you know, that was one of those things. I was actually thinking about that when I was in, in the in the theater because I was, you know, in, in the front of the orchestra and I was looking up and I was like, oh, yeah, that's where I spent a lot of my time kind of up in those rafters. <laughs> but that was just a product of being 25 and, you know, Michael Greif and, and Sergio, Sergio are, are, are correct for saying like, OK, do you think you could be here and then by the, your next musical line, could you be on the third floor? And, you know, I was just like 25. I'm like, yeah, I can do anything. I can do anything you want. I'll do whatever you want. 
And then, um, you know, and then cut to like a year and a half later doing it. You're just like, I'm so tired. I'm sprinting up and down these stairs the whole show. Um, yeah, not something I want to do now. But when I was 25, I was very keen to just do do that. But uh, it was, yeah. but also made it like a very visceral thing for me. I was, that set, I was all over the place swinging off those poles. In rehearsal once, I fell off the second level, but landed on my feet in the first level. And I think they had a moment of being very scared. But then when they saw they that I landed, they were like, how do we work that in? You know what I mean? Like it never happened, but, oh, um, yeah. but yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a playground of a, of a set for me for sure. Was oh the set gosh. like that at arena stage as well? At arena it was, yep, it was. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, they built that whole thing in there. Yeah. It was the exact same at arena actually. Now I know that that was like, it wasn't your Broadway debut, but right. I feel like that was when people really were like, oh, this kid is a star. And then you went on to lead catch me if you can right away. What was that experience like of being in this hot new show? I don't think it won the, Pulitzer until afterwards. It won the Pulitzer but... then, yeah, because I think it was probably after. Yeah, it was, you know, I had done hair, I'd done Rant on Tour, I'd done Hairspray, I, that was my debut, and then I had done Wicked. But yeah, but it was my first original cast, right? That's like the thing, right? Yeah. Like, and it's, I remember for me, it was like, okay, well, I, w- I was in college and I say, oh, I want to do a regional show. And then, oh, yeah, and then you want to be on tour, and then you want to be this, and then you, all of a sudden you're in a Broadway show, and you're like, oh man, I need, I want to originate a role. And not only did I get to do that, I got to do it in this show that I just was, I was rocked by. And we had like a really circuitous route to Broadway, right? We started at second stage in early 2008. And that show, it was, it was really good, but there were still a couple things tonally, as I was kind of saying about Kimberly Kimbo, that were just like a little bit off, I think. And, you know, there was this number at second stage, we're very early in the show. You've kind of just met the characters. You've just met Alice. You've just met, you know, Diana, the character she played. And then very soon after the opening, she had a number where she was in Costco and kind of was like making fun of that she was kind of having a breakdown in Costco. And I think it was something that, and no fault to the to, to anyone on the creative team, sure. I think they were, they didn't know how to fully go, like go all the way in on this very difficult material. And I think that they were looking for moments of levity, which is makes total sense. Right. But I think we learned at second stage that those, there was that number and the number at the end of the first act that were still a little bit too, it was, it was confusing the audience. I think about what they were supposed to think. And then they did a very, very bold thing after second stage led by David Stone, our wonderful producer and Michael, you know, our director, Michael Greif, they said, no, we're going to keep working on this. We're not going to bring this show to Broadway. We're going to go out of town now, which is kind of that you don't really do that. Once you kind of go to New York, you want that to then go to Broadway. But they said, no, we're going to, we're going to do this. And in that time, they cut those two numbers. And I'll never forget, I, I was in Wicked on, and in town at the time, but we had started rehearsal to go to Arena. And I remember the first time the six of us read through and sang through the show, and I get emotional thinking about it. We were so wrecked because once they took out those two things, all of a sudden it was just this, this family and this, this depiction of this difficulty that they're dealing with and this, this, these things that they're dealing with, with no apology, no uh, comment on it. And we all just like, were whew, just trying, we just reading and singing through that in that, in the, in the room Knowing we, because we, we all believed in it, we all loved it, we all knew what was there, but it was t- it was them taking that chance to remove those two things and just put it forward. And I think that ultimately was the success of that story, um, which is so funny because you think that you're 
trying to do it in a way that makes it accessible for people and not to make people feel bad about what they're seeing. And then that show ultimately was just saying, this is the thing. And it's what everyone responded to audiences, everyone. And then all, and that's what was confusing at second stage. We were all like, why we, why are, why are people not getting what this is? Like, it's so beautiful and so incredible and complex. But then once they took those two things out, everyone got it. And it was just to be a part of that and to kind of like what, um, what you were saying, Connor, about the perfect opening night of Kimberly and Kimbo. I mean, I remember it next to normal and I remember them kind of reading the New York times review. And I think we all just thought like, wow, they, they get it. You know, they, they, they finally, Oh, I'm getting emotional. Talk about it. They get it. So <laughs> anyway, it was a good show. No, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for well, sharing. Aaron. Yeah, I, told, it, it, I, told you, I told you I'm a crier. All I have to do is talk about yeah. it. <laughs> anyway. No, I love it. Well, you know, the show really touched our family too. At the time, I remember we were not to make us seem too young, but we were um, like in early sure. high school at the time. And, mental illness had just recently touched our family in a huge way and to be there with our parents seeing the show was such a powerful experience it was beyond words to it was the mirror you know it was reflecting back at ourselves and it was like i can only imagine the number of people and we talked to alice about this she came on our podcast in the first year yeah she said it was a lot to carry yeah of people who would come up to her at the stage door yeah she took a lot she had a lot of weight put on her in that way um Mm -hmm. because what I was just going to say that before you said it. I mean, the stories that people, you know, people watch that show and then just want to open every, like they would just be so open with us talking about it because I think, you know, and it's sad because even still today, I think mental illness is really like the real last cultural stigma that people just still don't talk about. You know, I think we're, we're slowly opening up to it, but it's really the thing that is still not on the table a lot of times. And it was definitely the case then. And people would just see it and say, oh, my God, that's that's me. That's my family. That's my aunt. That's my mother. That's my grandmother. That's my father. You know, there was such a there was such a release, I think, that people felt with the transference of their own stories with that show. That was so beautiful. And it Mm -hmm. just really it was so special to be a part of something that you could tell was, of course, you know, people that love musicals would love it as a musical. But but to be part of something that went so far beyond that with people's response to it was just so, yeah. I mean, what else do you want as an artist, right? You like want to, right. you want to tell stories <laughs> that not only move people and entertain people, but that make people think and give thoughtful change. And yeah. So to have that kind of my first thing out of the gate, I was like, talking about retirement. It's like, well, I'm done. You know I mean? No experience is ever going to yeah. be like this again. <laughs> what did you remind me? What? So you left next to normal and then what came next? Oh, well, so that that was such a wild time as well. I had already done, oh God, how do I think about this timeline? Okay. So I was doing, okay. I was doing Next to Normal at second stage, the end of, we were in rehearsal, the end of 2007, going into early 2008, that production. But at that exact time in January of 2007, I'd done one workshop of Catch Me If You Can where I was in the ensemble. I had been auditioning for Frank Jr. for the past basically three years since I first met all of them in Hairspray. They kind of kept saying I wasn't the guy, I wasn't the guy, I wasn't the guy. In rehearsal for Next to Normal, all these people I knew were going in for Catch Me If You Can. Everyone was saying, oh, are you auditioning for it? And I wasn't because they thought I was not the guy. And then the day before the mm-hmm. final callback, I got a call and said, why don't you just come in? Why don't you come in? Meanwhile, it's like 25 pages of material, three songs. But yeah, come in. I went in <laughs> to the final callback and all of a sudden – I 
I'll never forget. I, you know, and it's interesting you said about um, a moment, the moments in your in your life. This is a different moment. This is a moment of. It was so, you know, I, it wasn't that they didn't like me; they loved me. But I knew them so much, and they saw me as this young Link Larkin, you know, which is just. So I kind of had to shatter their impression of me a little bit. And I went in and I remember seeing all the names on that were at this final callback. And it's just like everyone that I admired and thought was like, I was like, but I remember going in the bathroom after seeing this list and looking at myself in the mirror and just like laughing and being like, first of all, how am I even here with these people? But then like, all right, well, I got nothing else to lose here. And I went in and just like, it was the best audition I've ever had in my life. And then I left and my manager called me and said like, okay, so uh, they, that was amazing. They want to see if you can do what you just did again. Can you come back tomorrow? Just you. And I went in again the next day, just just me there with everyone. And they told me in the room that I got it, which was amazing. So I just say that because I was doing second stage off Broadway. And then I immediately, as soon as we opened next to normal second stage, I was doing double duty, doing a workshop with Catch If You Can. And then, so then I went into, then I was doing Saved and Wicked that spring. <laughs> And yes, then in the yes. fall, I, because Wicked producers and normal producers were the same, they allowed me to leave Wicked and go do Arena Stage. Then I came back to Wicked after Arena Stage. <laughs> then Next to Normal opened on Broadway. So now we're in the spring of 2009. But at that time, Catch Me If You Can got its out of town in Seattle of summer 2009. And because I had previously worked on that, again, my producers at Next to Normal, I, I did the Tony Awards for Next to Normal. And then I was on a 6 a.m. flight to Seattle the next day and started rehearsal for Catch If You Can in Seattle on Monday. So that's oh my God. So wow. I left right after the Tonys. You didn't get to go to the party? No, I went to the party. I stayed up all night. Oh, good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. of course, of course. <laughs> and, then, um, and then I went back into Next to Normal in the fall after doing this Catch If You Can that summer. So there was like a year and a half stretch where I was like going back and forth between like all of these things and – and at the same time, I, that when I had gone back to Next to Normal that fall, I was shooting five episodes of Gossip Girl in a row. So I was right. like doing that TV show during right. the day, Next to Normal night. I, it was it was absolutely insane. I did not sleep. I didn't have any days <laughs> off. But I was 25, 26 years old in two, two, three shows and on a television show. It was – I was like, what else is – what else do you want to do? You know what I mean? I was, right. it was unbelievable. I was so fortunate and that they all allowed it to work together. You know, my, the, yes. they were so wonderful to me to allow that to happen. But yeah, so that was the, that was the kind of time, time of that. And it's, wow. no, it's all iconic work too, that I think people of our generation all were like obsessed with everything and you were popping up everywhere. I think that's why you gathered this fan base so quickly too, Aaron is you crossed over between different projects and worlds. I mean, we actually saw you in Wicked. It was yeah, Carrie Ellis oh and Kendra Cassabob. Yes. It was a it was a great cast, great cast that summer. Great cast. You were amazing. Yeah, you were a phenomenal. Thank you. Piero. Thank you. Yes. I had a lot of fun doing that show. That was one of the most just pure fun. I think of of just so much fun. I just had so much fun being that kind of real prick who got to kind of change oh, yeah. a little bit. I had so much, and yeah, I got, I did it with a great company. I mean, Carrie had just come over from the UK. She'd stood by for Adina in the original West End, and then took right. taken over for Alphaba. And then came over. Kendra is one of my favorite musical theater act- actresses. She She's yes, our favorite Kendra. Yes, I'm for with sure. you. Yeah. She should be. She should be Baker's wife in Into the Woods. Oh yeah. You think? The depth that she brought to. I mean, she had a very different take on. Um, yeah. On, on Glinda, but 
I was, I, I mean, it was, it was amazing to, to play off oh, yeah. and watch every night. Yeah. But then actually when I went back to wicked post arena, I got to do it with Nicole Parker and Ali Mozzie. Oh, so oh, I fun. had like, Oh my God. Yeah. So I had like a, a another, and Nicole, she was, uh, she was kind of from mad TV at the time, right. but it was also an amazing talent. And Ali who I'd known for a long time through friends was also just like so funny. And so I, I really got to do wicked with two pairs of, and, 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 and the standbys at the time were amazing too. One of them was Julie Ryber, who I who was actually in the Footloose that I did at the Merry-Go-Round Playhouse in 2003, oh, my first job of all time. So yeah, that was a really fun time too, and I got to do it with all these in- incredible people. Yeah, it was really yeah was great. Yeah, and you know I I have to mention Gossip Girl, Aaron, because that <laughs> I mean talk about a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, right. Yes. Do people still I mean still tell you like I remember you from Gossip Girl? Yeah, that that's actually. Outside of anyone that knows anything to do with theater, that's the thing that people are. No way. That, and Graceland a little bit, but but really Gossip Girl, that's the thing they're like, oh my God, you're that guy. You're that guy. What's your name? And I'm like, Trip. They're like, that <laughs> Trip. Also the name Trip Vanderbilt. It's like, what is that name? Yeah. Right. But that's the thing that, <laughs> and there's been like two waves of it because when we were doing it, it was such a phenomenon, as you said, it was such a, especially in New York, it was such a new york thing and you know all my friends made fun of me because you know that was still i was still like in my late 20s we were still going out a lot in new york nobody knew me like you know because all none of my friends were in the business so i had like a you know i'd be out at places where it wasn't broadway fans or people that knew anything about broadway and no one would ever say anything they didn't know who i was but as soon as i was on gossip girl that's all anybody wanted to talk (laughs) about whenever we were anywhere Uh in new york but then it, it was like another wave happened a few years ago when all of it got put on right. Netflix. So then this whole other generation of people that hadn't seen the show originally saw it. So yeah, it's a very incredible thing. It still pops up. And now, of course, they're having a, a, a resurgence with the, the new version. Yeah, are we going to see um, you yes, on it? Yes, yes. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they, I, I, they haven't really stepped into the uh, yeah, not too, too much, much into the, too much. the previous cameos. I think there's room to. I, I, I think people would really enjoy it so oh, for sure we'll see <laughs> that's so funny and of course you got to kiss blake lively which was the envy of yes. everybody back in the day i mean still okay but trip was a bad guy yeah. I feel like the last time we saw him there was wasn't there a car wreck that was yeah that was, was yeah so they were having like a tour love affair <laughs> you know he, he and his newly pregnant wife and uh you know serena was oh in, i forgot that detail. i don't even know she, i mean i i i, I I think she was 18 in the character yeah, who at the can time. Say? They all acted like mid 20 year olds. Who can say? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was like a 25 year old Senator. So it wasn't like, right. It's right, still, right, right. It was like a little bit, a little bit sketchy, definitely sketchy. Mm-hmm. And then of course, yeah, they pulled the thing from Chappaquiddick. Cause you know, that happened to Ted Kennedy. He got in a car, car wreck with like a, his mistress and left her in the car and bounced. So they basically did that. I, I got into a car accident and uh, put her in the driver's seat and I was like, see you later. <laughs> And was that the last we you were, was that your last? No, episode? that was actually so that was in the third season, and I got slugged by Chase Crawford outside of the hospital when I tried to go visit. No, that's an envy of mine. Um, that would be yep. I mean, yeah. That, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Took a punch from Chase. Yeah, yeah. Who's still who's still a really good buddy right. of mine. And uh, oh, I love that. And and then uh-huh. I came back in the last season for a couple episodes. I for, I actually don't remember too much of what I did. Uh, what the storyline was, but the main one was the was the the thing with with uh, with Blake and and putting Serena in that very very bad position situation. But they were also wonderful to me. I mean, yeah, Blake was amazing to work with, and they welcomed me with open arms from day one. And they like a lot of them came and saw me do next to normal, and came and saw Catch Me Can, and so it was like a very very cool cool thing. 
was a very cool thing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Now we've got to talk about Catch Me If You Can. I mentioned it in the intro, but it is yeah. absolutely my favorite show. Oh, I don't know man. what it is. I think it's the Shaman and Whitman score. Yeah. I think it's because, you know, Hairspray was so important to Connor and I as well. Yeah. That we we were like, oh, this is the same team. Like, mm-hmm. we feel like we're in on something mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. And to this day, it is still my comfort album. And those songs, I mean, Aaron, singing those eight times a week, what was that experience like? I don't even know how to describe it still. I mean, it was, you know, it was the first, I mean, you mentioned Three Musketeers too, this little uh-huh. this musical I did. That, that was like a three-hour musical where I was on stage for the entire time. And that was something like professionally the fact that I think I got to do that prepped me for Catch Me If You Can because by the time we started Catch Me If You Can, I was like, oh, I, I can do this. I can. I knew physically that I could do that. Like I knew that I could be on stage the whole time, make the thing happen, get that thing up the hill eight times a week. So that was like a major thing to know in my own body and in my head that I physically could do that. And then just everything that happened with that show, I felt the same way that you just described about Hairspray and that team. I mean, they gave me Mm. such a shot when I was 21 years old to do Hairspray and bring me to New York and all of those things. And to then be a part of that. And also like to, to work with Jack so closely and to work with Terrence McNally, you know, who, who was the book writer when we started for Seattle and everything that happened in Seattle with Norbert personally and his family. Right. All of that was always in the room with all of us. And so we were all so connected to each other and to that show. And then again, like we, we, we were very confused, like when the reviews and everything came out that like, we felt like people didn't get it, you know, like we, and I I think that show is going to be one that has a revival in five, 10 years. And you'll be hand ratty. It's going to be a smash. (laughs) Like, I think that show Mm -hmm. is going to be a revival and people are going to be like, Oh, because it is, has a, one of the, the most brilliant scores, the orchestrations that Mark did. I mean, the, the, the album is so incredible. It's like, and maybe this, I don't know, all those songs and all the styles that those songs are in, they're not like a musical doing the style. Mark just wrote a song in each of those styles <laughs> and put it in a musical. Like it was so right. incredible. Um, but yeah, we were just all so close. And, you know, at the time it was kind of devastating because we felt like it didn't, wasn't understood and we struggled to find an audience and you know it only it ran for six months on broadway which was right you know and but we opened you know we opened the same year as as book of mormon and that was like a that was like a starship black hole of you know that just was like it just happens sometimes right it's like you open when these you know it's like when you know hamilton opens like no you know it's just like the thing that a rent opens right it's like these like seminal productions happen and you just happen to kind of be caught in their wake a little bit but yes like wait i always say waitress would have won tony's were it not for the same season as hamilton so it's very interesting the way that's why you know commercial musical theater is tough man it's like a tough yeah you get because not only do you have to make a thing that's really great you have to thread that needle as well too so so yeah so but that but that's just to say that it was as amazing as it was. I think it was really, dis- it was hard for all of us because we all thought it was, you know, I'm, I'm, and I'm so happy to hear you say that you loved it because that's how oh, yeah. we thought. And I, I truly believe that that show will have a revival in five, 10, 15 years and it will be, it'll explode and people will be like, wow, this is yeah. brilliant. Yeah. What was it like leading a show for the first, was that the first time you were the, the, yeah, number one on the yeah, call yeah, pretty. Yeah, it was. Like I said, besides that, uh, Three Musketeers that I did. Um, that was that was it. Yeah, I mean, I um, you know I always put a lot of pressure on myself. I found like a I found a much better balance now in my life. Moulin Rouge had a much better balance of like, I mean, I still take really seriously like my health and all of that and recovery and you know I'm 
I'm a crazy person and I like don't call out and like all these things. Like I, 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 I'm acknowledging that I have something <laughs> broken in my brain that like allows me to anyway, but no, it was, uh, you famously don't call yeah, out. Yeah. You didn't That's at like, all. For well if you can. I no, I, no, I didn't, but yeah, it's, I, I just put that, um, it's, it's, I, I think also like it was, I was like perfectly naive too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I didn't, Sure. I had some I had some version that I knew all this press, pressure was on me, but because I was having the absolute time of my life doing the show, I was able to not think about the pressure that was on me for mm. it, if that makes any sense. But really, I go back to that Three Musketeers production. I, It's kind of how I operate when I'm working on a show. Like I, I tell people with Moulin Rouge, like the Boston production of Moulin Rouge, I sang so vocally in the red every night. Like I pushed myself so far vocally every night because I knew it was a finite production. I knew I wasn't going to mm. hurt myself. But I knew that I was I wanted to learn in those four and a half weeks of shows, if I can do this physically, then when we go to Broadway, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to worry about it because I also believe that like eight shows a week. This is just my own personal theory for myself. And it works for me is that I think a lot of a lot of the struggle comes from stress and stressing yourself out and worrying about your voice, worrying about your health. So I try to get that out of the equation for myself. So, yes, I I think I was. uh, that was youngly naive in Catch Me If You Can because I was just having so much fun. But I always want to do the most. Like people make fun of me. I want to, you know, I don't, I, I, I get bored if I'm sitting around. So I'd rather just, uh, just do the most. That's why you have three <laughs> shows going on at once. At yeah, times. right. Exactly. So, yeah. Now I do have a question about, you know, specifics with Catch Me If You Can because, mm-hmm. you know. I knew you were going to do this, Dylan. You'd be like all in on. <laughs> Please. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. From what I understand is the original version of the show was quite different in Seattle. It was a little bit darker. Yep, it was. And there were some changes made to maybe make it a little bit more flashy for the New York audiences. Yes. Um, what would you say yep. the biggest difference was between the two different productions? In Seattle, even with the set, they were trying to create two worlds. They were trying to create everything that I did was in color. Mm-hmm. And everything that Norbert did was in black and white with the lighting, with the set pieces, with how everything moved together with costuming. Right. And I think the idea was because everything that was in my head was a fantasy and everything in his head was a reality. Mm -hmm. And it was all, it was always that tension between the two. In my opinion, Terrence's book for Seattle made those turns on a dime. His, I just thought that book was brilliant, but it was a little dark. Mm -hmm. You know, it was it was a it was a darker show. The tone was dark, and I think they wanted to instead. They kind of changed the lens a little bit for Broadway to have kind of this variety show esque mm-hmm. thing to tell the story, which I understood. And I think they tried to make it again. It's interesting after speaking about X and Normal. I think they tried to make it a little more accessible through that version, and I think it might have just gotten a little bit less clear with that maybe maybe that's why people you know responded the way they responded but yeah but but that the seattle version was uh i also like dark yeah. things and i like <laughs> things that are a little headier and a little more dramatic for the drama um that's why you're here so, today so i mean i, I loved both both versions but the, the seattle version was really really cool it was a very cool production and i actually think that they just did a production of catch me can it uh was I it arena it, or I signature think it was arena. yeah and i think that was i think that was the seattle it was advertised as using did. a different I, script, so I or an original I think script so. or something. I'm sad I missed. I that, think you know? so. I actually was like, oh, I want to go see this, and then I I couldn't get down there. But uh, but yes, yeah, so I think that they went back to to that version. Okay. Uh, 
Interesting. Well. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you. I think that, mm-hmm. that show, you know, you were of course robbed of an, a second time you were robbed of a Tony nomination. Thankfully it came, oh, it came you. when it, when it was meant to come. <laughs> and then you were the only one yes. in the category, which. We, oh my goodness. Wait, Aaron, gracious. really quick. I want to ask, were you like, were you really sad when you didn't get nominated for like next to normal, for example, what seeing the rest of your, most of the cat principals get nominated. Was that like a big bummer for you? I mean, you were so young. It was so critically lauded. Yeah. If you don't mind speaking on it, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, I was, I was, I was wrecked. Um, I think the best way to describe, it's just, it's just a really difficult thing, right? You're, you're, you're pour yourself into something. And I, I think the hardest, the hardest thing was, and again, nobody, you know, it was nobody's fault and nobody meant anything by it. But like, I, you know, people were, oh my God, you're going to, you're going to win a yeah. Tony award. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. And it's hard not to hear that. Right. It's hard not. So I will say, it was maybe the best lesson I've ever learned as a professional actor looking back mm-hmm. on it because it quickly made me realize that my ability to work and my ability to do work that I'm proud of and my ability to continue to work had absolutely nothing to do with any yeah. of that, mm-hmm. which I do wonder if, if it had been easy for me and I had like, it was my first show that I had, you know, I, I was on, I was on, I was on a, I was on a bit of a run, you know, because I like went from switching to the musical theater program at Ithaca and not being cast in anything in school to getting rent, getting hairspray, getting this thing, boom, first show out, Tony nomination, Tony win. Like that's a, I wonder if I would have thought it was all that Mm. easy. Right. So I, I think it was, it just taught me a really important lesson at that time that it wasn't about all of that. And and my worth as an actor, my worth as an artist and performer wasn't about all of that. It was about what I was able, how I was able to open up myself to, to, to different things. And looking back, I, I, it was exactly how it was supposed to happen for me because I, it changed my whole perception of, of all of that. And then of course, you know, <laughs> cut to last yeah. year when it finally came all the way back yes. around, it just made it even that much more amazing to me because I think the thing too uh, is, uh, it's just a moment of really feeling seen by your community and by your peers, you know? And I think the thing that I struggled with, with the first two now at, at my age, looking back was feeling really unseen. Mm. Right. And, and catch me if you can also, right. It's like, I'm, I'm killing myself on stage for three hours every night. I'm here every day. I'm, why don't you see me? Yeah. Right. Like that was the thing I think that was the hard, that was the thing that was really hard uh, at those times is like, again, I didn't know that yeah. what it was, but now looking back and, and now having feeling what it felt yeah. <laughs> feels like to be on the other side, which is just a complete feeling of being seen as I just think I felt unseen at those times. Um, but in hindsight, I think it was maybe the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing. It's like the title of that merrily we roll along documentary, the best worst thing that could have happened. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. Yeah. And, you know, that's like a really uh, it's hard for me to talk about because it doesn't matter, you know, and also like it doesn't uh, I don't want people to think that I'm like, oh, yeah, he's got all these look listen to the problems he has. I'm I'm fully aware that it's not. And I'm what I'm saying is, is that instead, I'm so grateful that it happened that way because it totally led me to who I am as a an artist today. Yeah, definitely. And, and you, yep. and like you said, you've got a Tony now, which I still yeah. think, Aaron, I still think had the pandemic not happened that, that season, you still would have won. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's well documented oh, yeah. on this yeah. podcast. I used to like stack up like who would probably been nominated, how you still would have won. Mm-hmm. I really think it was going to happen anyway. And congrats on the win. Thank yeah. you. So well Thank deserved. You. And I remember, 
you know, that night watching the Tonys, it was so clear to you how much that meant to you oh, to yeah. be seen. Yeah. Well, I think in, you know, my, 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 uh, my speech, which was just like, <laughs> I didn't even know what I said or what came out. <laughs> it was, <great>. I, it's <laughs> kind of what I'm, it's kind of what I'm saying though, is that I wanted to somehow acknowledge, you know, all these people that got me to that point. Right. It's like talking about next to normal and, and catching the can and the casting directors at the time. And like those people took such a chance on me when they had no reason to. And that all of that was the reason that I ended up on stage that right. night. Right. And so I just, you know, I, I never, I'd never had a chance to <laughs> thank anyone before. So I was like, I'm thanking everybody yes. because I, this is that important to me. So yeah, it was amazing. But really I, I, uh, I was sweating it out. I did not know what was going to happen. I didn't know if it was going <laughs> to up until up until Courtney Vance and BB started joking yeah. about it in their intro that I did not relax till that moment because I was like, oh, they're not going to joke about it and then open the envelope and say no one. Right. And I and I've, I've worked with both of them, which was also very special for me as I know I know them both. And uh yeah, so it was. Uh, but really, I was I was sweating it out until they started joking about it. <laughs> well, you looked great. I loved that white tux that you had going on you you know you, oh, you always you. rock a, you. like a red carpet Aaron you have great taste thank you yes I try to go a little bit out, outside the the box a little bit oh. um yeah yeah thank you that's uh, I think that was the was the row I believe okay and great stylist Jason Remper thanks Jason yeah and I was gagged <laughs> that you thanked your girlfriend because you know, you're you could be private about those things sometimes. yeah so that was yeah. exciting and yes. everyone loves her as well yeah she's great she's awesome and yeah I mean listen I, I it's a fine line right I have a I have a very I have a love-hate relationship with uh with all the public aspects of mm-hmm. social media and all of that so it's uh, just trying to walk that line, but but no, it was just I wanted to also acknowledge her because yeah, she really has 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 put up with me <laughs> and, and all of that specifically. So we, yeah. I just realized we didn't ask you about your ring of keys moment yet, Aaron. Which is yeah. we we yeah. ask our guests about a time in their lives. It could be could have been last year. It could have been at the very beginning of your cultural consciousness where you realized that you loved the arts in some way. And maybe it was a performance you saw or a film or you were reading a book or something that made you realize you love the arts. Do you feel like you have a moment or moments that were your ring of keys? Yeah, there, there are a couple for me. I mean, when I saw Rent the first time on Broadway, it was a very big moment for me. I was a senior in high school. I was applying to schools for to be a, a voice major, to be a vo- like a classical voice major. And I was also applying to like all these business schools, right? And I was like, what am I going to do? And wow. I, had, I had done three musicals for like in high school and I loved it. I loved to perform. But again, as, as I was kind of saying before, I didn't know anyone that was an artist or had gone to school for theater. I didn't know you could go to school for theater. But that seeing that show and seeing that subject matter and seeing – I was like, oh, this is music that's much more like the music I like to listen to. But in this format, it just totally opened my, and it was like a, it was like a psychedelic experience. It just like blew my mind about what that could be. <laughs> and you're, you can then never return to your previous mind. Right. So right. that was a very, a very big one for me. And then I ended up going to school for music. And it was actually that first year that I was in Ithaca as a music major. That was another big moment, like a ring of keys moment for me, because being away from being on stage in an acting, you know, in a, in a, in a show for that year, I think really made me realize how much I missed that and needed huh. that. Those were two really big moments for me. And then again, rent, like, and then like a year right, after that, happened, I was yeah. in the show. <laughs> and again, that was wild. I had like Justina a couple of years before. I had At that time, I had no idea I was ever going to be an actor. Now I'm, now I'm in the show. 
And that company that I that I did rent with, I was the youngest by a few years. It was a non-equity tour, but it was kind of everyone's first job. Constantine Marulis was Roger. Marcus Paul James was Collins. Rebecca Naomi Jones was Joanne. It was all the Jeanette Byardell was the season soloist. Like oh, wow. it was all these people <laughs> who were so unbelievable. And it was basically all of our first jobs out of school. And being a part of that group of people and seeing what that show did across this country, you know, doing the show in Wichita, Kansas, getting picketed outside. Oh, wow. But seeing, seeing the fans of that show in all these small towns across the country who had no other outlet to be who they were. That also just blew my mind. Like, wow, this is so much more than, you know, like I found such a home with these people, but seeing the home that we were giving people with that show. So it was like, yeah, it's a lot of rent for me. <laughs> That's amazing. And everyone's still working from that. <laughs> that oh company. my God, the group of, the, and the list goes on, but the group of people that was in that, uh, in that company was quite incredible for like, you know, for a non-equity tour, it was like all these people who went on to have yeah. big careers or first jobs. So it was really special. Yeah. Did you play Roger? Yeah, did you prefer? Because I know you covered Roger and Mark, yeah. right? I was Steve. I was the I was the squeegee guy and saying the Will I soloed. Oh, so good. I covered Roger and Mark. I did two companies. I was kind of with the first company, the second half of the first company, and the first half of the second company. But the year that I did, Constantine never missed. He was just like a rock, a rock star in the show. And, and he then wasn't. He wasn't year, Constantine yet, though, right? No, no. This is yeah. pre American yeah. Idol. The whole <laughs> thing. And he was he was an amazing Roger. He was so good. And then the second half of the my time there was a different different person. And I went out a lot for Roger, okay, at that, cool. which was wonderful. Uh, but yeah, I actually never got to go on as Mark. There was one oh. night I was supposed to do it. And then it was towards the end of my run. And we were, you know, swung, we, there was a lot of people out. I was supposed to be on, but then at the lat, like an hour before the show, the Roger called out. So they put me on for Roger and put the other Mark cover on. And oh. I was like, oh, so I missed, I missed my chance. Wow. But, yeah. but yeah, but then the Hollywood Bowl was such a wonderful kind of five years later, real full circle experience to kind of get to then play Roger, which was I loved when I got to go on as, as Roger. So yeah. to get to do it myself was really special. Oh, I remember I mean, watching those yeah. performances on YouTube that whole summer. You know, yeah. we yeah. were obsessed. Yeah. Obsessed, yeah. Obsessed. Just, your hair was amazing at the time. Oh, it was thank you. A little blonde going on. And then, yeah. uh, of course, One Song Glory. I mean, getting to sing that was probably insane at the Hollywood Bowl. Well, it's like 17,500 people. And the, the, that is, yeah, it was really, that was a very, very special experience. And that cast was, I mean, that cast was amazing too. I mean, Nicole Scherzinger is. I was going to ask, did you interact with her much? Oh yeah. We were, she, everybody, we were, you know, that's like a, doing the Hollywood Bowls, like a, like you're doing summer stock. You have two weeks to rehearse. You do three shows. It's so concentrated. It's so fast. But Neil did a, Neil did a really great job because in each couple, right? Roger, Mimi, Nicole, or Joanne and, uh, and me, and Maureen, Maureen. Angel and Angel and Collins in each couple, one person had done the show before. So oh, okay. he did it very cleverly that in the fast paced audition process. And he told us all that, like he told myself and Telly and Tracy Toms, he said, okay, I'm going to lean on you guys. If there's things that we're missing, you can kind of keep your, your, your co-star in bounds. So he did a really smart job with that very fast process to like in each couple, somebody hadn't known the show really well. That's great thing. Okay. And then you reunited with Vanessa in Grease Live. Yes. Yeah, it was very, so fun. Which, so fun. And oh she and I gosh. had become really good friends doing Rent. And then, yeah, to see her, you know, she was, she was amazing in Grease Live. And uh, it was just, yeah. that was very, that was, 
such a special thing if, to be part if of. If anybody too. had doubts about her from like, oh, she's from High School Musical, I think Grease Live was like her star making I think career so solidifying moment. I think and so. And you too. were phenomenal in that as well. I mean thank you. That 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 was such a seamless night. Like <laughs> the golf cart <laughs> yeah. moment at the end almost, but as an as a viewer. But I think the golf the golf cart moment was good because I think people thought it wasn't live until uh, that happened. You yeah. know, it had gone off so well. That thing it was three hundred and fifty people all doing their job at the exact all the way, the way they were supposed to, all at the same time to make that thing happen. And somehow it happened. And I can't believe that we pulled that off. The, <laughs> sco- the scope and scale of that was so insane. I still can't believe we pulled it off. You mentioned earlier that the Neil Patrick Harris directed Rent. He sort of matched up veterans with maybe more of a celeb type name. You sort of have a knack for for doing that. I mean, that was you and Les Mis. And then sort of mm-hmm. in Grease Live, it was a lot of like TV people. I mean, granted, you had done TV at that point. Were you cast first or was julianne huff cast first julianne was cast first okay uh julianne and when i when my process julianne and vanessa were both cast and then i had to go out i auditioned here for for the producers and for tommy kale and then i had to go out and do like a chemistry you know chemistry session with with julianne out in in la and all that so yeah but they but they were but they were cast first yeah okay that's so interesting was do you do you ever feel like people like lean on you a little bit in those situations when you're like the broadway guy um, like Lame is in particular. Maybe I relish those opportunities. I try to, I really try to lead by an example and all the, you know, I just, I, I'm just a person that like works really hard and I try to treat everyone as nice as I can and try to have a good attitude every day. And but I really try to like lead by example in that way. And I think the couple times that I've gotten to do that, where I was like, like you're saying, kind of the Broadway guy and these things, that's been in my head, you know, to kind of, mm-hmm. with Les Mis, I really felt the support that I felt from the Broadway community when I was announced that I got cast. And so many people said like, you're doing this, you're doing this for us and you're holding up, you know, our community <laughs> and all that, you know, you're, you're our guy in there. And I, I loved that. And that made me feel so wonderful to kind of be able to, to do that and to feel that support. And for, for Greece, interestingly, even though it was live and even though it was like for 30 million people or something, <laughs> I remember there was like a little bit of nerve before the the performance. And I, I talked to a few people because we'd had at that point, we'd had like four or five full dress runs. We were so prepared. Wow. We'd done a full dress Thursday, full dress with audience Friday, full dress with audience Saturday. So by the time Sunday came, I, I kind of just said to everyone, don't think about all these people watching just do the show. Like we're at this point, we're doing the show now. Like we've done the show for four days, just do the show. And so, so I, Mm. I, that was just for myself too, kind of leaning on my experience of what it's like to just then do the, do the thing. Right. So, so, so I did, I, I, I guess I, I, I do relish those, uh, those moments. And uh, I put that little pressure on myself to, to, to do that sometimes. Well, I hope we see you in another live musical or movie musical. Yes, I sometime. I hope I, I hope I get to do either one mm-hmm. of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess we've got Chicago Sh- coming, right? Yes, yes. I think I don't know if it's it's been announced that it's Chicago. I'm not sure if it's going to be called Chicago or called okay. Schmigadoon because I think if you change it, it might confuse. But but yes, that's this spring sometime. I don't know exactly when, but we that's all in the can, and it's uh, very fun. exciting. And almost everyone is back. And uh, I can't really explain what it is. You just have to see <laughs> it. <laughs> but I think it, knowing that it's Chicago may open your brains to what it could be. So, yes, uh-huh, I'm very excited. Uh-huh. Very excited for everyone to see That's going to be awesome. Yeah. 
That's, that's so it. fun. I, I, I really loved the first season of Sprigadoon. So it's, it's such a treat for all of us Broadway. Oh, it's folks. so fun. It's just a look, you know, the best part about it is, and very quickly we realized it's not making fun of any of it. You know, it's only, no. it's just a love letter to musicals. You know, Cinco Paul loves musicals so much. And all of it is just like a forward thrust of love for all of these things. Like, and I think that tone was really important for our first year that nothing was made for, weren't making Mm -hmm. fun of anything. And that continues season two. It's really just like an homage and a love letter to all that stuff. I'm excited. Now, Aaron, I have have one other question before we move on to our closing segment. Unless Dylan, did you have something you were going to ask? Well, I was just going to say, I know that you have covered Taylor Swift in concerts yeah. before. And I'm yeah. curious, was that the best or worst thing you ever did? Cause I feel like people, anytime I see you announce a concert, <laughs> people in the comments are always writing. Do you have another Taylor Swift song? Do you another Taylor I Swift almost, song? I had a concert a couple weeks ago and I almost did Antihero, Ooh. but it was, it was like, in a, it was in a recital hall at a college and I ended up making mm. it. I didn't really sing. I didn't sing any pop in the whole show. Actually. I, I, okay. no, I, I sang one thing, but, but yeah, it just didn't work. But, um, <laughs> But no, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. I, I'm, Have you listened to all of Midnight's? I've not listened to all of it, but I've heard a lot of it. And she's, okay. I mean, she knows, she knows what she's doing. She's just an incredible totally. songwriter and everything just about. And she, and she released it on my birthday. So I appreciated that from her. Oh, oh my gosh. Wait, yeah. <laughs> are you a Scorpio or are you like Libra at the very I'm right end? on the cusp. Yeah. 21st. Yeah. I'm a, okay. I'm like the last Libra day. Yeah. Okay. Wait, I was going to say, we went to see your show at 54 Below in January, I want to say 29? 19. 19. 19. It was 18 into 19. It was that New Year. Yeah. 18 into yeah. 19. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, oh my God, what a set. I mean, yeah. I remember you doing Being Alive and Adele's All I Ask. And, oh my God, your voice really does lend itself well to a pop crossover moment. And I mean, well, Adele is very theatrical in general. Yes, but yes. Thank you. You slayed, Aaron. That <laughs> Thank was amazing. You. Thank you. Yeah, that was a really great show. It was nice to go back there. I had... I'd done us that the album that you mentioned, the live album I had done mm-hmm. at 54 below and like during their first year, 2013, I had done a bunch of concerts there. And then, yeah, that was kind of my, my first time back uh, New Year's and then the January date. So it was, it was wonderful. I'm glad you enjoyed. You always create such an eclectic set list. It's fun. And yeah. I, 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 um, I, I, found my, I think I'm an eclectic performer. Maybe, maybe another album in the future, Aaron. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Listen, if it's covers, we'd all be fine with yeah. it. Okay. Just well, thank you. Know, yeah, no, uh, Just yeah, keep your keep keep your eyes and ears peeled. Yeah, that could be possible. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, I feel like we could talk to you forever, but we do have to wrap up. And before we end this chat, we like to close with a dose of drama. Mm-hmm. Could be a pop culture recommendation, something you've been thinking about, you want to rant about, rave about, share. And my dose of drama today is that I have very randomly, and I cannot explain why, I've been obsessed with a 2017 album that I just discovered in the Lord's Year of 2022, um, Phoebe Bridgers, mm. her album, Stranger in the Alps mm. from 2017, it owns my entire life. I can think of nothing else. Mm. It's so moody, beautifully written. I mean, it's a, it's like it feels like a storytelling album and, and the way the songs transition. And it's so sad, but oh my God, absolutely addicted. And I, I would, it's kind of fun to discover something like, now it's been out the people have been consuming for years and i'm like wait there's so much more to discover now it, it, it feels like this very special discovery that i'm having in my life so i recommend it stranger in the alps phoebe bridgers so good so moody is that the one so that lyrical. has um emotional motion sickness it is it is what, is there another song about a, a, being a killer yes there is oh yeah that's a great album she's amazing 
She's, she's amazing. In, she's incredible. Yeah, that's a that's a really good album. Yeah. Yeah, the emotional motion sickness. That's a that's that's a fantastic. Song. What a it great feels like timeless. But, but what a great lyric. You know what I mean? Like what a wonderful little symbol that is emotional yeah. motion sickness yeah yeah cool are Very you cool. are you a big pop music fan i mean i know you like to sing a lot of it but who's like your fave i am a i am a big pop music fan yeah i'm a, I'm a really really big pop music fan actually i love phoebe bridgers big bon Iver fan i mean i i, I basically listen to like a lot of you know ray lamontane and you know lots of lots of moody moody pop but also <laughs> you know harry, harry styles and uh, i still listen to like a lot of hip-hop and r&b and I've learned that I like like storytelling songs, mm-hmm. you know, like pop song, like storytelling songs. Much like, much like, I think that's probably the musical theater in me, right? <laughs> I want everything to kind of have have a story. So yeah, but I listen to a lot of pop music. Yeah, yeah. are you? Do you like Harry's House, his album that came out this year? I do. Yeah, yeah. I think it's oh. very good. Matilda, I think, is my favorite song on it's there. Yeah, a story song as well. <laughs> story yeah, song, yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Um, um, my yeah. dose of drama is, you know, I've been thinking about you Aaron and how we've yet to see you do a big Broadway revival here in New York mm. and I think mm-hmm. I've decided what it's going to be oh please tell me if you're going to be MC in this cabaret production it's oh. like tearing it up in the UK oh I would love to do mm-hmm. that I could see you it'd be it'd be fun for you it's dark I know you like dark stuff you've 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 really you've really struck the heartstring chord yes <laughs> no that is something I've not seen the production I love cabaret I'm not uh I, I I knew a lot about it. Obviously, I'm friends with Eddie and Fra, who yep. went in. Oh, yes. um, friend of the pod. I've seen. Oh. <laughs> I, I've just heard it's an amazing thing, and I would I would uh, I would absolutely jump at the chance to do that. Yeah, thank you for saying. All right, that. we're, we're going to will it because you know. I see it now. Tony <laughs> yeah. winner Aaron Tveit in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get Vanessa oh, Hudgens man. in there. Oh. Sally, I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, wow, that yeah, that... amazing. Oh, my God. Why not? Um, Aaron, do you have a dose? My yeah, my dose of drama is a little bit back to what I heard y'all talking about the intro. I watch a lot of stuff. I watch a little Bravo myself. Oh, and uh, my dose of drama is about Winter House right now. I don't you know do. if y'all watch Winter House. Yeah, you're in good company. But yes. My problem with this year's Winter House, I think they're doing drama. For, I think it's. I mean, all reality does drama for drama's sake. But I think they're doing drama for drama's sake, and I don't like it. Uh-huh. And that's my dose of drama. Yeah. I think they're being. They're really leaning in. They're creating situations that don't need to be. And I just want to watch people have a good time and go skiing. I don't need to see all the drama. There's too much drama. You know, I am not a Southern charm person, so I don't, I'm not really in the Craig and uh, Austin world. I'm not either. And I think that they actually are creating all this drama for no reason. That's so that, that, so that's my drama. When Craig said he wouldn't clean up after the the first couple parts, I was like, dude. Be a person. Yeah, he's just create. See, that's the thing. He's just creating. I feel like he knows how to be mm-hmm. a reality person, and he's just leaning yeah. in. So my drama is cut the drama. <laughs> I love yeah. it. I love that you All watch right. Winter House. <laughs> Who's your favorite cast member of Winter House? Um, Winter House. Oh man, I don't know. This year's tough. It is tough. I, I miss Hub House. You know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but it was refreshing to see her back last week. I haven't seen that episode yet, but I I okay. think I think Hub House is Summer House and Winter House. So without her, I'm, I'm with you. A tough time. I'm I'm obsessed. Totally I love that you, you love <laughs> yeah. you love the uh, Summer and Winter House <laughs> universes. <laughs> that that was a pandemic discovery for me. Was uh was okay. a lot of me too. I didn't, I didn't watch too much Bravo. I I watched Top Chef, but but hmm. the but this I've always kind of watched Top Chef. I I think it's a wonderful program. But the Winter House and Summer House and below decks have been a pandemic uh oh. we're a pandemic comfort and <laughs> new discovery for me <laughs> totally have you ever done watch what happens live i have yeah i've been on there a couple times yeah i've had a blast oh my god oh so my god. fun yeah all right well aaron 
we won't keep you any longer, but thank you so much for your time. This has been a dream come true. And you're like yeah. the nicest guy. I really oh, appreciate yeah. it. Thank you both. I, 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 I just so, uh, wonderfully honored to be asked so thanks for having me yeah well everyone should follow you on twitter and instagram you're just at aaron to you, yes you check me out we'll see we'll see if twitter's still around but instagram i think right. will still be there yeah yes. definitely <laughs> yeah. so it, it will be there so people should follow us there we're at the drama podcast i'm at dylan mcdowell connor is at connor mcdowell aaron you've made our dreams come true thank oh. you so much and connor i will see you next time drama, drama.